0: Luke twenty two thirty nine through forty six And he, Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them, about a stone's throw away, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Have you ever been face to face with a real and genuine opportunity of a lifetime? And without recognizing exactly what you had in front of you, simply went right on past it in favor of something that seemed more appealing or more convenient to you at the time. Now we can't usually know when such opportunities as those have taken place because their real value doesn't always become known to us. But sometimes, sometimes in the mysterious grace of God, He enables us to look back on some of those opportunities and to catch at least a small vision of the thing that we missed out on. And on those occasions, our hearts grieve within us for our loss. Choices and our ability to make those choices are a very necessary part of the way that God made us. They're part of the free will allowance that He has given to each of us. So, yes then, without doubt and most often without any advance notice, you and I will be confronted with opportunities for choice. Most often, those choices will be very ordinary, everyday choices. But sometimes, sometimes those choices turn out to be very serious. And if we are fortunate enough to make a good and right choice, our hearts are gladdened within us. But unfortunately, unfortunately, it seems that the clear lines between the rightness and the wrongness of many of our choices. They're not so plain. Those lines are blurred and confusing. And in the rush of our daily life, we find ourselves making choices that we should not make. And again, may I say that some of the worst of our wrong choices take place within the most ordinary of our daily circumstances. And so it was on this night, that we're reading about here as these disciples accompanied Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane there on the Mount of Olives. This was something that they were very accustomed to doing. They had been there often. And so this opportunity for prayer probably seemed to them to be much like all the many other similar opportunities for prayer. But with that being said, we do also have one inference in these words that tells us that this particular visit to the Garden of Gethsemane had some difference to it. We're told here that the disciples were sorrowful, even to the point of exhaustion. And they really did have some causes for being sorrowful. They had just been told a few minutes earlier that one of them would betray the Lord Jesus. Then also, there had been many times lately that Jesus had warned these disciples that He might soon die. But I also believe that the unseen spiritual kingdom that revolves all around us each day was and then there in the garden and still is very real and it's very active within men's lives. And it was active there during those hours leading up to Jesus' death on the cross. And we can see it clearly in the way that the angel came and ministered to Jesus as he suffered these great sweat drops of blood and as he cried out to God the Father to let this cup pass from him. Now these words do not say that the disciples were also ministered to by the spiritual kingdom. But I have to believe that they, through this deep feeling of sorrow, were being made aware of, of some very serious impending event. And I believe that the spiritual kingdom ministers those same kinds of feelings to you and me when something big or perhaps ominous is about to take place. And for the lack of a better way of explaining our feelings, we often call those premonitions. And those premonitions will cause us to respond in different ways. And that was so with these disciples. Their sorrow... Was the way that they were responding, and that sorrow provoked them to sleep. It should have provoked them to fervent prayer, but it instead provoked them to sleep. These scripture verses tell us that they were sleeping for sorrow, and one of the other uh, translations, the NIV words, that they were exhausted from sorrow. Now sorrow most often would seem to be a form of distraction that would keep a person awake, perhaps tossing and turning. But here, their grief caused them to do the opposite, to become so drowsy that they fell asleep. And I think therein those words lies some evidence of those other participants that are within that spiritual kingdom, those Sinister powers of darkness that tempt us to do the things that we should not do. To make choices that we should not make. Consider for a moment here, could and should those disciples have fought off that drowsiness and continued with Jesus in prayer? The answer to that question is yes, most definitely. They could have done it. Why do we know that? It's because Jesus said so. He said to them on three different occasions... It's given in one of the other books of the gospel. He said to them, listen, this is from Matthew 26. He says, then he came to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, what? Could you not wait and watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So yes, yes, the disciples could have stayed awake. The other question, should they have stayed stayed awake? The answer to that is also yes. For a lot of reasons. For a lot of reasons. One being the immediate, what I just read there in verse 41 of, of uh, Matthew chapter 26. Jesus said to them, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our flesh, that part of us that has our self, our soul within it, is is especially susceptible to temptation. There seems to be an open doorway here within our souls, within our flesh, by which the dominions of of darkness, those powers and principalities of the demonic world can, can come in and gain access to our soul and can bring about the temptations that will keep us from doing the things that God intends for us to do. Now here, it was not as if the demons provoked the disciples to do something that was blatantly sinful. It's not often that way. They instead used one of the simplest of temptations. Drowsiness. Drowsiness. Sleep. And that one simple temptation was enough to distract them from their appointed duty of prayer. That's all it took. Sleep is such a simple thing and it is so good for us when it's done at the appropriate time and in the appropriate place. But if it's misused, if it's misused, sleep can also be used to accomplish the will of the evil one as it did there in the Garden of Gethsemane. But also, as it does often, this very day with tens of thousands, perhaps even millions of people who on this Sunday and other Sundays choose to simply sleep in. We, they do not make provision for this morning, last night. Last night, we do things that cause us to stay up late. And to be tired the next morning and want to sleep in. So the temptation starts back there. But then this morning, when we really can get up on Sunday and go and worship the Lord, we make decisions, choices, simple choices. And no, sleep is not a sin, but it is a very handy tool, weapon, against that obedience that we ought to have to Christ. Such a clever diversion by the evil one. May I say this? As those dear ones sleep in, often they are missing out on life-changing opportunities. Remember I said, have you ever been face-to-face with an opportunity and you didn't know what you had in front of you? It's what is taking place as we would simply choose to sleep in on Sunday morning. Perhaps, and most likely, missing out on life-changing opportunities that some folks will never recover from. They'll make that their custom, the habit of their life. Now here, drowsiness and sleep kept these disciples from taking part in something that was so big and so important that even we, looking back and knowing what they missed out on, still can't fathom the magnitude of its importance. They missed out, listen, they missed out on joining with and being an intimate part of the provision that the Lord Jesus would make for the salvation of men's souls throughout all of time. Wow, what an opportunity that they had there at that moment. To watch and pray with Jesus and to take part in that. But what a horrible failure that they had. Now to say that that is an unforgivable lapse in commitment, that would not be true because God can and He does forgive such things and in many things that are far worse. But these, for these disciples, listen, for these disciples, this was a very, very, very big loss of opportunity. They and only they, in all of history, all of time, had that opportunity. And it would never again come to anyone, because it was only taking place then. And they missed out on it. And all that Jesus was asking them to do was a very simple thing, and that is to pray, to stay awake, to tarry with Him, one of the versions says, which is an empathy kind of, let me let me spend this time joining with you in what you are doing he says, tarry with me for a while. That's all he was asking them to do, to join with him there, just in simple prayer. Now, I, I want to take another opportunity to address the, the nature of this very simple but profound matter of prayer because I want it to, us to understand about it more and more uh, every Sunday. As we've been seeing over and over again, Jesus gives us the full understanding that prayer is not just one of the essential parts of the relationship that we would have with God the Father. It is most likely the very most important, the very most important. Now why is that so? It's really as simple as it appears. Because in its barest level, prayer is nothing more than an intimate conversation between us and God. That's all it is. I've said to you often that my mind thinks in a visual form. And in this matter of prayer, I see myself walking along each day with God walking beside me. Should I be talking to Him all through my day? Now, consider this in one of the similar circumstances of daily life. My sweet wife and I go for a walk through our neighborhood for exercise. It is so natural for us to carry on a conversation while we walk. And in that conversation, we talk about many uh, of the things that concern us, personally and, and with our family. And it's in and through those conversations and other conversations that we have, we establish this deep relationship and we maintain this deep, loving, intimate relationship with each other. During those conversations and others, we share very intimate concerns. And the more intimate that we choose to become with each other, the more trust and appreciation we gain for each other. And folks, while yes, there are many, many other important things that go on in our daily life, that loving relationship, loving relationship rises above them all. Both with God and with each other. Now, how do we know that relationships, such relationships are so very important? It's because God Himself tells us. He says that clearly here in the Scripture, that everything else reduces down to one thing. All of the things that are required of us reduce, reduce down to this one thing. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love others as yourself. And then Jesus comes along later and He says, I want you to love each other as I have loved you, which is an even, even uh, deeper relationship. Those words describe relationship, deep and intimate, loving relationship. And that was what Jesus was asking from His disciples on this very, very difficult night. He was asking for relationship. These men, who were just a stone's throw away, were not just His disciples. They were His disciples, yes, but they were also His closest friends. And He needed them to be one with Him in His suffering, to join with Him in His suffering. And they should have done that, but they didn't. How often should you and I join with the Lord Jesus in praying for another person and their needs, praying for the salvation of many? These disciples had the opportunity of a lifetime, and they missed out on it. I can only imagine, by the way, that how many times afterwards they looked back on that night and just sorely wished that they had done better. So then... What shall you and I gain from being able to view these opportunities and the failures of these dear men? It's this. It is our usual nature to make excuses for people in these kinds of circumstances and to cut them some slack. But listen, we must not. We must not do that. Why would that be? It's because if we do, we are apt to provide them with an excuse that is not ours to give. We can't provide an excuse for those disciples. It's not ours to give such. And even further, you and I are apt to provide our own selves with a similar excuse if a similar time and circumstance comes for us. And that should not be so. We do not have the authority to forgive ourselves for the things that we should be doing and don't do. These scriptures tell us clearly that we are to make no provision for the flesh. We can't say to ourselves or anyone else, Oh, that's all right. That's okay. You and I do not have that authority. Yes, we can comfort people when they do things wrong, but we don't have the authority to provide an excuse for their flesh or ours. We are to make no provision for the flesh. And that's what Jesus had warned these men about when He said to them, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation because the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Those disciples should have and could have stayed awake and they should have been praying fervently. And if you and I had been there in those same circumstances, you and I should have stayed awake and prayed. It's as simple as that. There comes a time when we cannot make some weak excuse for the flesh We, had we been there, should have stayed awake. Now, am I condemning those disciples or you and me? No, I'm not doing that at all. I'm simply giving recognition to the most basic of requirements of our soul and that is to be obedient to the righteous requirements of God no matter how difficult it may seem to us to be at the moment. And also for us to know that each time that we do fall short, we truly are hurting someone perhaps even disrupting one of the greater plans of God. There's a consequence when we don't follow the will of God. So then, what should we do with these words? It's this. Just as you and I are able to observe here with the Lord Jesus, we need to make firm plans for our own daily times of prayer. A daily time of relationship building with Him, with God the Father, Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, but also with our friends and our families. And we must follow through with those plans. We must develop habits and customs that provide for those opportunities and choices to be successful. And that often begins days earlier. As I said, to go to church on Sunday, you need to plan it on Saturday night. And not put yourself in a condition to where you can't be there on Sunday. You and I need to develop customs and habits of how we're going to behave. And it all reduces down to one thing, and that is obedience. So let me close with these words. And these are familiar words that I've read to us often. They're from Deuteronomy 30. And this is the Lord saying, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to His voice and hold fast to Him for the Lord is your life. Let's pray.